I want you now to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians and find chapter 1. We are doing a, a uh, study in preparation for Easter that I have entitled Questions About the Cross. Things that we need to realize as we examine, as we survey the wondrous cross. That today we would, uh, we would know and understand what really took place. Last Sunday we talked about... Um, who, who it was that was on the cross. Now, we're doing this, by the way, we're doing this as a result or, or based on a scripture that's found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that says that Paul's prayer was that he might know him and the power of his resurrection, that he could, that he could share in his sufferings and become like him in death. Now, uh, Paul, last week we talked about that I might know him. And we, we wanted to, to examine, because so many times we get so familiar with things that we tend to forget that it was God himself who was hanging on the cross. It is God the Father who sacrificed his one and only son because of his great love for us and his desire that we could be redeemed, bought back from the curse of sin. That it was God's sacrifice. God chose him for that purpose. That's what we talked about. The, the who. Who was on the cross? That was the first question that we wanted to look at. Today we're going to look at the second question that's, that is, uh, I think, raised from that. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Now the title that I have, or the the uh, question that I have put up here is, is where? This is not so much a question of where did it take place? Now you probably would like if I preach a sermon on that because it would only be about two minutes long. But, um, uh, but where did the idea come from for Jesus to, to be crucified? Where did the power come from? What is the source of the resurrection power? And what difference does that have to do, to do with you and with me? And to answer that question, we're going to begin, uh, uh, we're going to begin reading from Ephesians chapter 1. Um, why don't you skip the next two or three slides, if you will. You, you know my wife. She's sitting over here, right? You know Sue, and I've known Sue for a long time. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I do this all the time, and she gets very nervous when I do this. She doesn't know I'm going to talk about her this morning. <laughs> but except for the Lord himself and she, her, I probably know her better than anyone else who's on the planet. I mean, I have, I have spent time with her. I, I, know, uh, I know the schooling she's had, the training that she's gone through, the jobs she's held, the honors that she has won. I know her mother, and I know her brother, and I know her sister, 
I know where she lived growing up. I even know the name of the family dog she had as a child. In addition to all the facts that I know about my wife, I also know her. I know her life. I was there when she gave birth to Nathan. I was there when we adopted our son, Jose, in, uh, in a central Brazilian courthouse. I was there when her daddy died. I know her hurts, her habits, her hangups, and I know her happiness. I know her quirks, and I know her pet peeves. I know which button to push to get on her. I know what makes her laugh. I know what makes her cry. I know her work and her worries and her strengths and her sins. I know my wife. Now, I know I'm, that's not unusual for me. Probably most of you that are here can say that about your spouse. I have known Sue for almost, in a personal way, I have known her for more than 50 years. Now, I don't know, for her, that's got to be a long time. <laughs> I could tell you more about how God has worked in her life. And how she has worked in my life to bless me beyond measure. Church, that's the way that God wants us to know his son Jesus. He wants us to know him intimately. Not just data and facts about him, but to know him. And that was Paul's desire. In Philippians chapter 3 again, when he when he. Uh, when he made this, this statement, he, he prefaced it with all the things that he had done in his life uh, because of his faith and his religion. And he had all the, the uh, rules that he had checked off and all the I's that he had dotted and all the T's that he had crossed and all the aspects of his life that he had accomplished. And he comes up with this statement now, having looked at all these things, this is my paraphrase of it. Having looked at all the things I've done, I found that they're worthless compared to knowing him. So I've determined that I'm going to know him intimately. And I want to know also the power of his resurrection. Where did the source, where did the power come from to raise Jesus from the dead? Listen, church, listen to me for a minute. I want you to get out of your church mind for a moment. We have heard the story of the death of Jesus on the cross and the grave, uh, the burial in the grave and the resurrection on, on, um, on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, and we have heard it so often. It's really become more of a holiday for us, Easter has, than something that we desire to know more intimately. Am I, am I the only one that feels that? There's a real danger for us to, to become very complacent with Jesus being raised from the dead. Because let me tell you, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen very often. When people die, they usually, almost always, 
stay dead. And for Jesus to come back to life, not just spiritually, physically, his body that had died, that had flatlined, that no longer had any kind of heartbeat or pulse or brain wave, none of that, that that body was raised from the dead. Who could do that? Where does that kind of power come from? And this is just as much a part of this message. What difference can that make in my life? For us to look at that, I've asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to begin reading uh, there, if you will, with me uh, uh, at verse 13. I want you, as we read this, to envision Jesus, God's only son, and God's only plan for salvation. Read through the Bible. There's no plan B. This was a plan that was conceived before Adam and Eve were born, before Adam and Eve were even thought of. The plan was that Jesus, God's own son, would be sacrificed for the sin of humanity. He was slain from the foundation of the world. I want you to see that his only plan for salvation was hanging, was dying on that cross. But I also want you to think about the fact that God knew he was going to die and God knew what he was going to do in raising him back from the grave. I want you to think about God's power that is demonstrated by taking a man who was not just dead, but as, as we hear in the Wizard of Oz, he was most sincerely dead. And God brought him back to life. From hopelessness to hopefulness. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You, I want you to notice the verbs in that verse that we just read are all past tense. When you heard and when you believed, you were sealed. That's already happened. Okay, now that's, that's an important point. Uh, it's going to show up and probably come out in my talking several times, but it's important to know at the moment you heard the gospel and responded to it, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, hold on to that thought. Read on, verse 14. The Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Get that? He's the down payment. He's the surety. He's the guarantee that we have of eternal life until we actually receive eternal life. How do you know that you have eternal life? Well, you hope you do. I think I do. No, you have eternal life if you have the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee of God. And just as God said, Jesus is my plan for salvation and my only plan, he's going to make sure that it's carried about all the way through. And just to make sure that you have that understanding, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus already happened. 
Can I say this? This has nothing to do with the sermon, but it just pops in here and I've got to take care of it when it does. When you receive Jesus as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit, all of him. You don't receive some of him now and some of him later. You receive all of him now and you learn to grow in him. There's not a second movement that comes along later. It's not talked about in scripture. There is the receiving of Jesus and the fullness of the Holy Spirit on your life as a guarantee for your salvation until you take possession of it. And that is to the, to the praise of God's glory. Verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. God's resurrection, the resurrection, God's power in resurrecting Jesus from the grave is what we want to look at today. And I want you to to understand and, and to see the uh, uh, some truths about this uh, that are so important for us. First of all, I want you to see this is not the first, th first time something like this has happened in the Bible. Okay? For instance, are you familiar with the, with the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac? His only son, Isaac, interesting because Abraham had another son. Abraham had a son that was born previous to Isaac, whose name was Ishmael. But God said that one doesn't count because that's not a son of promise. That is a son of the flesh. You work that out yourself. You can't work out salvation. And so he says, you need to... You need to separate yourself from him. And God, God's going to tell uh, Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 to sacrifice his son, Isaac. I want to read a couple of verses from it. Verse 1 says, after these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Now, that's not the test. Okay, the test is not, do you know your name? The test is not, is not, are you present today? Here's the test. Verse 2, he said, take your son, your son, your only son, Isaac, 
the one that you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And Moriah is a, a land of, it really is not a specific mountain, it's a range of mountains. And he says, and go to there and offer him as a burnt offering on one of those mountains that I will tell you to stop at. Now, you know, are you familiar with this story? Have you heard this? Do you know what Isaac or what Abraham did? Exactly what God told him. Now, Abraham's an older man by this time. Probably 110, 115, 120. We don't know how old Isaac was when this was taking place. The indication is that he was a young, maybe 10, 12, 13 years of age. We, we don't know that. And so Abraham knows that if something happens to Isaac, the plan that his offspring, that, his, that from him would be this nation with numerous people, more numbered than the sand on the seas or the stars in the sky, that if, uh, if something happens to him, the plan's off, the deal's off, right? Now God is saying, Abraham, take your promise. The one, the only way through which any of this can take, can happen. And sacrifice him to me. Offer him up to me. Abraham packed up and he and Isaac took off. It took them three days, but they arrived at the mountain where uh, they built, uh, that God said, this is it. So they built an altar. And remember, Isaac said, Dad, I, we got wood for an altar, but we don't have a sacrifice. Remember what Abraham said? God will provide the sacrifice. And then it says he bound his son and placed him on the altar and was about to take his life because that's what God told him to do. Sacrifice your son there for me. And as he did, God stopped him. And then they saw the sacrifice that was provided for them in the thickets, and they offered the sacrifice to God. How much of Isaac, how much of that Isaac understood, I don't know. I mean, at that point in time. But I know the impact that it had on Abraham's life. His son was as good as dead. But God brought him back to him. And by the way, Abraham now is exactly what the Bible says that God promised the father of many nations. That his, his descendants and his offspring are more numerous than the seas, than the sand on the seas or the stars in the sky. God keeps his promises. There are times when we're not sure about that. Come on. There are times when we are mentally sure, but in our heart we're just, boy, this doesn't look, this isn't looking good. Am I right? Do you ever have those signs? But God comes through in fulfilling his promises. Then I want you to notice what Hebrews chapter 11 has to say about this. Hebrews chapter 11 is that, that uh, uh, portion of scripture that lists those of great faith, that have demonstrated great faith in actions that they took people in the Bible. 
And it, if you come down to verse 17 in that story, it talks about Abraham. It's been talking about Abraham. But it says, by Abraham, or by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. Which, figuratively speaking, he did. And he received him back. Do you, did you notice that he considered that God was able, if necessary, to raise Isaac from the dead? That's, a, that's an amazing faith, isn't it? I mean, I, I would love to see that. I'd love that to happen with many of my loved ones. I'd love if my brother could be brought back from the grave or my father my mother you have folks that are that way as well but it, and i believe that god can but then it just it's hard to hold on to that kind of understanding of the power that someone has who can raise someone else some dead person from the grave so let's talk about this power that can raise people from the grave. I've got four things to say about it, and I've got time for one of them. So listen fast. First, God's resurrection power is available. We're not talking theory and concept here today. It's real. It's there. It can, it can make an impact uh, in your life. God can... The God who raised Jesus from the grave, the God who had the power to raise Isaac from the grave, still has that same power today in your life. And here's, remember what we, what we read a moment ago, here's the truth of the matter. When you receive Jesus Christ, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Gotta get some sort of a, reaction if you have the holy spirit you have the power of god in your life that is even able to resurrect from the dead now what is it that's in your life that stopped that you, that's got you stopped cold that's what we're talking about here today uh, god's resurrection power is available to you and me by the way in the verses that we read out of ephesians Paul never, or anywhere else in Scripture, never says you should go out and get you some power if you can find it. And if you'll do these things, one, two, three, four, five, then you'll, you'll be on the road to having power in your life. He says, learn that you have the power. Know him and the power of his resurrection that is living in you. That's his prayer. Not to, for them to find it. They've already found it. They've already got it. Learn that they have that. Learn what that means in their life. Christian, we believe what God's word says about Jesus. When it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 
over verse 4 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming in the coming ages he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Remember what he said that we read a moment ago in verse 16 of chapter 1? I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called. What are those the riches of his glorious inheritance. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Do you see what he's saying there? I just wish, I wish that it was more than just a Sunday school thought that we have the Holy Spirit or that I'm saved. Understand that you have the power of God, the same power that raised him from the grave. It's available to every Christian. It's available to us. I've had it with me for 45 or more years of my life. Because that's when the Holy Spirit came into my life. When I gave my life to Jesus. And, and he took up residence as the surety, as the guarantee that I have eternal life. And that same power that raised Jesus from the grave is in me. I just have to, it's available. I have to learn how to exercise it, how to appropriate it in my life. So you see, the power of God is available. Let me tell you the second truth. And that is that the power of God is invaluable. The power of God is invaluable. I read this week about a Muslim man who lived in Africa who became a Christian one day, and that's a very risky thing in that culture for a Muslim to convert to Christianity, to, to become a believer in Jesus. And so many of his friends and family said, asked him, how could you do this? How could you do such a thing? Here's what he said. The new Christian said, well, it's like this. Suppose, suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two, into two roads, two directions. And you didn't know which way to go, but there at the fork, there were two men. One dead and one alive. Which one would you ask to show you the way? You see, the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection power that God used in raising Christ is invaluable. 
it's invaluable. It is, it is, uh, uh, it's priceless beyond all measure. It is, uh, it is, well, let me say it this way. There are two truths about, about the, the value of, of the power of the resurrection in your life. Number one, it is essential for eternal life. You can't have eternal life without it because you will die and stay dead. If you're going to live forever, and I am, if you're going to live forever, you have to have the resurrection power because you're going to die. The day is going to come when, uh, when all those bodies of believers that we've laid into the ground, our loved ones that have gone on before us, when God's going to raise the, their bodies physically up out of the grave. I can't begin to tell you how that's going to work. I don't know. But I know that's what the Bible says. In the last moment, when the trumpet sounds of the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the resurrection power. And it's essential for eternal life. But let me tell you something else. It's also essential for everyday life. It's essential for every... You can't handle today without it. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff, and it just seems like every night we go to bed and say it can't get worse, and we get up the next morning and turn on our TV, and it gets worse. For if you're going to be able to sustain a life of faith and faithfulness to God, you're going to have to have the resurrection power active and working in your life. <clears throat> Otherwise, you may just pull out your hair and just give up and walk away. <coughs> word or the power of God is invaluable. Third, the power of God is knowable. The power of God is knowable. As Christians, we can know and experience resurrection power in a real and tangible way. When the resurrection power is active and working in the lives of individuals, you can see it. You, you can see that they're able to do things they are unable to do. That God working through you is able to do what nothing else in the world working through you can accomplish. The power of God can change your life. It can bring you hope when you're in a hopeless time. The power of God can be known and experienced in real and practical ways. It's not just a theological concept. It is practical for our lives. As Christians, we can know and experience the resurrection power tangibly. We see that in Paul's uh, prayers that he offers, the one that he that he offers in um, uh, in Scripture, he says, I, "I I don't cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, because he wants us to know uh, that we have the 
the power that we have. Paul prayed for them to know spiritually how to see the power they already had. Now, this reminds me of a story about a man named Jed. Poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. Then one day he was shooting at some food and up from the ground came a bubbling crew. Gold, black tea, Texas tea. You know how the song goes. You know what I'm talking about, Jack Clampett. According, in the early 2000s, just a few years back, I think that they discontinued this about seven or eight years ago. But I think from 2002 to 2013, Forbes magazine, are you familiar with Forbes? Forbes are the ones that list the Fortune 500, the 500 richest persons in the world and all those kinds of things. I usually don't read those because it's kind of depressing a little bit to find out how far I am from making that list. But in 2002, they started doing a list of the 15 richest fictional persons, fiction, people who don't live, who aren't alive, uh, who aren't real, but they have a real identity. The first year, do you know who number one was? Somebody said so. Jake, no, he wasn't. Santa Claus. In fact, he made number one the first two years and they received so many complaints about it because children said he's not fictional, he's real, that they had to take him off the list. But on, as you look through the list, on about four or five of them, they listed Jed Clampett as one of them, fifth richest fictional person in the world. Now, I don't know how they figured this, <clears throat> but they placed his value, <clears throat> not Buddy Ebsen, not the people playing him on, the fictional person is having a value of $7.7 billion. Would have made him the fifth richest fictional character according to their calculations. You know the story of how he got his Millions. If you've ever seen the first episode, you saw how he was living. Back in the hills, no running water, no electricity, no phone, miles away from any neighbor, no shoes at times, you know. And, and all of a sudden, he became this multi-millionaire moved out to Beverly Hills because he wanted to be with hill, hill people. And so all of a sudden... He became wealthy, right? Wrong. He was always wealthy. He just didn't know it. He always had that oil under the ground, under the slough. It was always there, but until he pumped the oil out and they paid him for that oil, this rich man remained poor. He didn't know how wealthy he really was. I get the feeling there's a lot of Jed Clampets running around in churches and in Christian suits all the time because we have a great wealth. We just don't know it. Here's the truth. The power of God is knowable.
Fourth, let's move on. Fourth, the power of God or the power of the resurrection is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Jesus um, Jesus talked about uh, about giving his life for you and for me several times. And in John chapter 10 is the chapter in John where he talks about being a good shepherd. Remember, you're familiar with this? And I want, I want to read to you some of the select verses out of this and see if you can see a, a theme that's running as Jesus is teaching. He says, I'm the good shepherd. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Down a couple of verses later to verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me and just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Verse 18 goes on and it says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. And I have this authority from my father. He says, I lay down my life willingly. No one took his life from him. The power of the Roman army couldn't take his life from him. Couldn't. Wasn't possible. The power of, of all the people there in Jerusalem for the Passover. Millions of people, perhaps. They couldn't take his life from him. His life wasn't taken. He gave his life. He laid down his life. When he was buried and put into a grave. Please understand, that grave couldn't stop him from coming back to life. They put a big heavy stone in front of the tomb and it could not keep him from coming out. There was nothing nor nobody who could stop the power of God from raising Jesus from the grave. That's the power of God. The power of God is... is uh, is greater than anything and nothing can stop it. That was the theme of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, remember? On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God fell on the people and they did some unusual things and the people that were there said, uh, these people are drunk and Peter gets up and says, we're not drunk drunk this is a fulfillment of what God has said he's going to do and then in verse 22 he says this men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus, 
delivered up according to the definite plan. I love that. According to the definite, determined plan and foreknowledge of God. And you crucified and you killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up. Losing the pains of death. Losing the pains of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I want to read that same verse, verse 24, in the New Living Translation. It says, God raised him up from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grip. Now, let me, let me get back to the point of this sermon. The point of this point is that the power of God is unstoppable. But the, power, the point of this sermon is not a, a, an understanding of what happened with Jesus when he was raised from the dead. The point of it is the same power that raised him from the dead lives in you. And there is nothing in your life that you will face that can stop the power of God from fulfilling his promises to you. I, I, so these are the times I wish I was Pentecostal and could just jump and dance and shout. Because that's, that's exciting to me to know. I've got to be honest with you, I'm not there yet. I'm still learning how to appropriate that truth. But this is one of the things that God showed me through his word in this sermon. That he is more powerful. He in my life is more powerful than anything my life will face. That's why David could write in Psalms 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's there with me. His rod, his staff, his power is there protecting me and guiding me. And I know that, that I shall dwell safely in his presence and then one day I will live with him forever. There, there's nothing can stop me. That's the power of God in your life. I just want to encourage you with that. I don't know who's, who may be struggling today in something that's just overwhelming to you. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are a believer and a Christ follower, you have the power to handle anything that life throws your way. Because that power is unstoppable in you. You may need a life-changing resurrection uh, uh, event. He can do that if you will just simply trust him. I want you to bow your head with me, if you will, please. <clears throat> Father, in these next few moments, as we are just still before you, we've reflected on the great power that you have given us when you place within us your Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit that is there to assure us of our relationship with you and the, and the fulfillment of the promises that you've made for us and to us. But Father, also for uh, 
for the Holy Spirit who is there to guide us and direct us and to lead us into all truth and understanding. So, Father, as we have now knowledge that we realize that this same power that you gave God is the power that you give us. So that, Father, anything we face, anything we face, anything we encounter, any challenges to the promises you've made, must surrender to the power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in us. So, Father, I, I pray that right now we just might come to that, that cross on which Jesus died that we've talked about surveying. That we might just come and receive the power that you offer us through him. In the name of Jesus, I ask this. Amen.